This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. The time for empty talk is over. The ECB is ready to do whatever it takes. Because Brexit means Brexit. Outer Blue by Amundi. Welcome to Blue Conversation, the financial talk on geopolitics. Hello, good morning, good afternoon to everyone and welcome to M&D Blue Conversation dedicated to the Super Tuesday. Super Tuesday was last week. It seems quite an old story now after what we have been living since a few days on the markets, particularly today that we are still experiencing at this very moment. So it's probably the good timing to take a deep breath, think about something else than the virus and to rediscuss altogether what has been the impact on the Super Tuesday on what will be the key political event at worldwide level this year, the US presidential elections. To help us to do that, we have with us Greg Vallier, Barron's columnist, a veteran nonpartisan commentator on Washington developments, and Kent Hobbs, CIO of US Investment Management at Amundi. So, gentlemen, thank you very much for being both with us today. Um, maybe we're going to start with a question for you, uh, Greg. Uh, I think all uh, our clients and people that are listening to us are relatively aware of the process, but maybe it would be useful first that you remember us what are the key milestones before the election date that everyone should be aware of before going into the, your comment on the Super Tuesday. Of course, and thank you for having me on your call. I'm very happy to be with you. Uh, we have another big series of primaries tomorrow. Uh, the key state is Michigan. Uh, it's a close race. I think Biden is leading. I think Biden also is leading in Missouri. He definitely is leading in Mississippi, where there are a lot of black voters. So it looks like tomorrow will be a pretty good night for Biden. But then we move on the next week on March 17th to three very big states, Florida, Illinois and Ohio. And I think Biden has a good chance to do well there also. Uh, it's not a definite, but it certainly looks now as if Biden uh, will be the nominee of the party. I think it, it is a reflection of three things. Number one, African-American voters like Joe Biden. Number two, the young people did not turn out as strongly as people thought for uh, Bernie Sanders. And number three, maybe most importantly of all, this is a conservative country. And I think Sanders saying, you know, unabashedly, he's a socialist. I think that's too much. I think that he was going to move the country too far to the left, and the voters decided that was not a good idea. So for now, I think the odds are quite good that Joe Biden will be running against Donald Trump, a very interesting election, uh, one in which I think Biden has a better chance of beating Trump than Bernie Sanders ever had. Okay, and so therefore, uh, you've already started to touch that, but what were the main surprises for you uh, out of this Super Tuesday? Uh, what has surprised you, if anything has surprised you? Uh, and you've started to describe what the dynamic could be in favor of Biden, but can you elaborate a little bit more about that? Of course. Uh, again, I think African-American voters in states like tonight, uh, tomorrow night in Mississippi or in Michigan make an enormous difference. And uh, Hillary Clinton didn't have as much support uh, among uh, black Americans. But since Joe Biden was the vice president with Barack Obama, I think that helped him quite a bit. The other thing that really interested me in all of the polling 
done after Super Tuesday is that most Democrats had a common attitude. And that attitude was, we may not agree with Biden on everything, but we want to beat Trump. And I think this desire to beat Trump was the dominant factor. The party has decided to, to unite behind Biden. Frankly, I think there's going to be issues about Biden's energy, about how sharp he is. Uh, but I think the party was willing to take that risk because they so desperately want to beat Trump. But therefore, if it seems that now we are entering uh, into a new phase, huh, because uh, clearly most uh, of uh, the other runners uh, of, within the Democratic Party uh, have decided now to quit. Huh? There are still some um, between the two others. But it's still at the moment, it seems that we have some kind of a duel uh, between two Democrat leaders that have very two different visions uh, of what a, de a Democrat program should be. So how do you anticipate the evolution of these duel in the coming month? Uh, my question is basically, do you think that there is a possibility of a brutal split of the Democrat Party? What could be the scenarios to be contemplated uh, at the final convention? So how do you see that evolution as now clearly we have a duel between the two, even if you have already uh, described the dynamic in favor, in favor of Biden? Well, you make a very good point, and that is that within the party, there are two factions. There's the moderates, obviously headed by Biden. Bloomberg was a moderate. Uh, Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, a lot of moderates, and they've all, of course, endorsed Biden now. On the other hand, you have a group of young people, socialist people on the left who want to do much more. And I think there's a risk that as the Democrats go to their convention, which will be in July, July 13 through July 16 in Milwaukee, as they go to their convention, I think a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters could be angry. They could say this was a conspiracy to, uh, to keep uh, Bernie Sanders uh, away from the nomination. So the, the most important thing for the Democrats during the summer is to unify, is to try to get both uh, sides together, because there's a real risk in November. Many of the young radicals could say, we're going to stay at home. And if they say that, Trump, Trump could win re-election. And what do you think Biden should do in that perspective? What are the signals uh, he shall give or what shall he do to, I would say, organize the future unity of the party in the coming weeks? I think he needs to get specific on policies. I was talking this morning with someone who's very astute on this issue, and she said that uh, the, the thing that Biden needs to do in the next uh, few days is to come out with a five-point program. I will do this, this, this uh, to combat the virus. I'll have fiscal stimulus. I'll, I'll have several programs. I think he needs to look active. And I would argue that the biggest concern about Biden will be his energy. Uh, he's 77. Uh, he's had some health issues. Uh, I think he needs to show a very strong energy level. It's going to be a very nasty campaign. Trump is 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 really brilliant at demonizing his opponents. He makes his opponents uh, look very bad. And I think Biden has to become aggressive, more aggressive than we've seen in the last several months. And any ideas of uh, what these five uh, points in the program or some of them could be? And Potentially, do you think there are elements uh, in uh, the respective programs uh, between the two that are common or that finally could be uh, in a single platform for the Democratic Party? Well, I, I think the party is going to focus on uh, better economic growth for everyone. 
uh, I think the economy is in, was in pretty good shape. I think Ken would agree with me until uh, the last few weeks. But I, I think the, the the platform for Biden is going to have to focus on I'll just give some fiscal examples. I'm sure Ken will give monetary examples. But I think that Biden needs to needs to look at maybe assistance for people who are on sick leave because of the virus, maybe some loans, some assistance to business uh, that have been uh, hurt badly. The biggest uh, uh, story, I think, on business would be the airline industry. Would there be any assistance there? Would there be a... Um, a little tax cut, a payroll tax cut, that's a possibility. Uh, could there be an, a, a, uh, an end to the tariffs for maybe six months? We have a moratorium on tariffs. So there are a lot of things that the politicians are talking about. I think Biden needs to show that he's on top of this. I think he needs to show that he's got a program uh, that could maybe help a little bit. Okay, no, thank you very much. Uh, I think uh, we're, we're going to move uh, a little bit uh, to you, Ken. Uh, so it's interesting because, of course, uh, a lot of things have evolved uh, in uh, in the past uh, 72 hours. But last week, uh, we had a Fed cut, uh, which was not, I would say, it was priced in probably by the market, but it was not a very usual action, not for normal time. So what is your view on this? Uh, and what do you think of the market reaction after the Fed's decision? Well, I think that in the immediate aftermath of the Fed decision, uh, there seemed to be some disappointment uh, in the market. Uh, and I think it was related to the fact that if the Fed's cutting so much so quickly uh, ahead of the March meeting, that maybe there's something more wrong than meets the eye. But I think at the end of the day, what we started a few days later, even a week later, is that uh, the markets were, um, I think, adapting pretty well to it. In fact, uh, the credit markets up until um, Friday, frankly, uh, there were good two-way flows. There were new deals again uh, prior to the cut. Uh, there was very little new issues uh, for quite a while. So I think the market, uh, the plumbing of the market had begun to work quite well. And uh, so it was well-received, at least uh, from that perspective, liquidity perspective. And uh, of course, now we have a, a little bit of a different situation, which I'll come back to. But I think Greg touched on a couple of points that I think are interesting. One um, is to look at what was the economy really doing before all this? And uh, I, I think it's somewhat inarguable at this point that the economy was actually accelerating into um, this quarter uh, from last year. And um, the the best estimates on growth uh, up until um, th this uh, intensification of the virus spread was looking at like a very strong 2.6, 2.7 GDP uh, through February. And uh, now the question is how much of that is going to be curtailed. And uh, even uh, the most recent surveys I've seen over the weekend and into um, from last week would suggest that the U.S. economy has seen very little impact so far and growth is been steady. Now, of course, uh, anything can happen. And I'm sure uh, given the fallout from the markets we're seeing um, at the end of the week, uh, frankly, that will change. But it's going to be very difficult to have a very poor first quarter. Most of the weakness was likely to be in the second quarter. Okay. And so therefore, at the moment, this call cannot avoid the question of what are your areas of concern in light of the coronavirus outbreak at the moment? So basically, what are you monitoring can at the moment in your portfolios? Well, I think there's two things here now, um, and and one is more recent. Uh, of course, the virus um, uh, 
intensification and spreading globally. Uh, there was initially fears of it having quite a shock value to supply, and it morphed into more of a demand situation as people become more concerned, stay home, don't go out, uh, affecting mainly travel, lodging, um, et cetera. Even over the weekend, we saw our officials from the CDC advising elderly not to get on cruises. So that's going to hurt. Uh, but I think number two, um, now we had a breakdown in OPEC uh, over the weekend, and I think that's also um, exacerbating things and, and one of the main impetuses for the weakness today as oil prices have now um, come under tremendous pressure of falling quite a bit today, over 16% as I speak, uh, putting renewed pressure on energy stocks and uh, anything related to energy. Um, and that too is uh, relating to somewhat of uh, a supply side uh, issue in terms of more supply, but also it has ramifications in some countries, including the U.S. now, where it's more mixed, uh, where um, there is quite a bit of employment and uh, manufacturing, industrial production related to energy. So it's a more mixed bag in the U.S. So I think the markets are also somewhat um, uncertain about that right now. Okay, so we're going to maybe to, to bridge that question uh, also with uh, the American politics. Uh, Greg, uh, I would be happy to have your comments on, uh, I would say, the monitoring uh, of the situation uh, by Donald Trump so far, because we've all seen him uh, in this uh, hospital during the weekend uh, with the, the little hat uh, for uh, with uh, what will be uh, his, uh, I would say, motto uh, for his re-election. So what do you think? How do you assess the monitoring of the situation by the president? Well, frankly, I thought initially they were very inconsistent with their comments. They had a communications problem for the first few days. Things have gotten a little bit better. They have a good secretary of health uh, named Azar. They have a very good doctor, a famous, highly respected doctor, uh, Anthony Fauci, who I think has given them some credibility. But at the same time, I think that uh, Trump throughout his presidency has had problems with credibility. And I think some people are not convinced that they are, are fully on, on top of this. Uh, Trump, of course, desperately wants to win re-election, and I think he will do just about anything later this summer, spending a lot of money, talking about a big tax cut. There's all sorts of things that he will do to win re-election. But I would say so far, maybe to be generous, I would give him a, a grade of a B, B minus, but I would not give him a grade of A. And Ken, coming back to you, any uh, views on your side on the evolution of the situation in the U.S. and its impact on the U.S. economy, aside from, I would say, the market impacts that you briefly uh, covered already, uh, but the potential impact of, I would say, the virus crisis on the U.S. territory? Well, we, we just don't know how uh, widespread it, it's going to continue to uh, get and uh, how severe. So their market is obviously pricing in some unknowns there. Um, although I must say, with containment, as we saw in China, that things are beginning to um, improve there. Um, in fact, the rates of uh, infection continue to decline, and uh, the rates of uh, getting back to work and production are increasing there as we speak, and getting um, much uh, quicker response um, than perhaps we can see in the Western countries where it's much more difficult to uh, have the same sort of uh, force of the government to uh, keep people um, from doing things they don't want to do. So um, 
I think that uh, we, we don't know right now, but I must say so far the U.S. activity hasn't fallen off that much from what I can tell. And uh, it's mostly in the um, travel, lodging, hotel, airlines industries. But one thing that is also um, improving uh, and has improved is uh, some of the interest rate uh, sensitive sectors. In fact, uh, by all accounts, the uh, very um, near-term surveys of housing continue to improve, and I can only imagine uh, it may get better um, as it, rates have really dramatically uh, declined. And also keep in mind um, another factor here is the dollar um, is now beginning to wane versus uh, some of the developed market countries. And uh, th this is something that uh, I've changed my mind on after having been fairly uh, bullish on the dollar for many, many years, given the relative interest rate differentials as a result of the stronger growth in the U.S. I, I believe that uh, with the collapse in rates in the U.S. and perhaps even further rate cuts from the Fed beyond the 50 basis points we've seen, in fact, the market's pricing in more than 100 basis points of further cuts closer to zero, uh, that will finally, I think, undermine the strong dollar. And, uh, and there was always the backdrop of the deteriorating fiscal package uh, and fiscal situation in the U.S., and that too is likely to get worse, as you heard from Greg, as fiscal stimulus of, of some sort, I, I believe, is coming. I think the administration was resisting it initially, knowing that the economy is strong, but I think the pressure is growing, and um, I, I believe the combination of more fiscal spending, uh, worsening the deficit, and further rate cuts will continue to um, undermine the dollar. Uh, and, and that... Um, I think is, on the other hand, also what you're seeing in Europe uh, in that they have less maneuverability on rates, uh, therefore they have less scope to cut rates. So for certain, the rate differentials are going to narrow, they already have, and uh, if there's any fiscal stimulus, uh, and we'll see how far that can go, uh, that would improve uh, the currency outlook as well. So I, I think the dollar is one area that uh, is, is I'm perhaps changing um, in, from a long-term uh, positive perspective. Um, so that, that's the main thing. Uh, we've been talking a, a lot about um, how credit markets uh, have been very, very expensive for a long time. We're beginning to see um, much better values over the last uh, couple of days and last few weeks. We've moved quite a bit, even um, in, in a very short time. And frankly, uh, people do become focused on high yield, but in, in this time, um, the, you're seeing very wide spreads in IG credit as well, investment grade, and often, um, you know, the best stuff tends to um, stabilize first. So, uh, I think there's increasing opportunities there um, because there's still a lot of strong, uh, large companies that uh, are going to be able to pay their bills. So, th this is an, uh, another area that's interesting. Okay, thanks. I think we're going to, to come back a little bit, uh, I would say, uh, on the forecast for the elections. Greg, um, coming back on, I would say, the respective positioning uh, or Biden or Sanders vis-a-vis -vis Trump, uh, can you Give us an overview of what the polls are telling us uh, about their positioning vis-a-vis uh, -vis Trump. So it seems that apparently um, Mr. Biden is the best place vis-a-vis -vis Trump. But what are the polls are telling us at this moment? Well, the polls right now show that both Biden and Sanders could beat Trump by a few points. But frankly, I think it's too early to pay a lot 
of attention to the, the polls for November. Here we are still in, in a crisis, still in, uh, in early March. So I, I don't pay a lot of attention to the polls. You know, tr- Trump, of course, was, was behind Hillary Clinton, uh, all through the summer in 2016 and, and he won. So I, I think that he, would need to be way behind if if tomorrow morning I saw a poll that showed Trump was trailing by 15 points. Well, I would take that seriously. But I think now with Trump only trailing by four or five points, I think he'll have plenty of time to recover. And I think that as of right now, I would agree with uh, Las Vegas. I would agree with the, the, the bookies in London. I would agree with all of my friends who are uh, political uh, poll takers. Uh, they all feel that right now Trump is the favorite to win re-election. And, and for now, I agree. Do you in that in that sense? Huh? Uh, so if. Uh... You said previously that uh, Mr. Trump will do whatever it takes to use Mr. Draghi's word, but in a different context uh, to uh, to win and to be reelected. Uh, so what do you expect from him to put on the table, I would say, in the coming month um, to uh, get that and therefore to pave the way for a potential uh, future mandate. And second question, uh, I think uh, at least in Europe, there is a little bit of um, naivety uh, of people being a little candid about Mr. Trump, uh, considering that he's just an epiphenomenon. But uh, don't you think that even if he's not reelected, some of the key elements of his policy will remain, even if it's a Democrat that comes to the White House in the end? Yes, I think so. And and I would make the following point. I, I think in looking at what Trump may do over the next few months and in looking at what Trump might do if he's reelected, there are three areas that I would carefully look at. The first would be on trade. And I am not convinced we are we have had total victory on trade. I think there's still, as you know, uh, the risk of trade disputes with Western Europe, with new tariffs. Uh, I think that the chances of phase two with China are very remote. That's not uh, close at all. And we have to remember that Donald Trump says over and over again, I'm a tariff guy. He likes tariffs. He believes they're a weapon. So that's one thing that I would look at for the rest of this year and maybe in a, a, a second term. I would also say that Trump, especially in a second term, but maybe this summer, We'll start talking about infrastructure. Uh, he loves to spend money, and I think there will be a proposal for highways and bridges and dams, thing, things like that. And then I just make a general point, and, and that is Donald Trump is not uh, averse to spending money. It's almost as if he has become a, a supporter of the modern monetary theory, which holds that deficits don't matter all that much. And I think that he, ironically, is almost a Keynesian. He will spend more money. And if there's one area where he will spend the most money, to me, it's defense. The defense stocks, I think, will continue to do very well. We're now up to about $750 billion a year on defense. And I think that number will go even higher. 
And Ken, how do you think, uh, I don't know if it's possible to read what the markets are pricing uh, in terms of who's going to be uh, elected uh, in November or not, because everything is a little blurred or under the halo uh, of the virus uh, situation. But uh, how do you expect also the different election outcome to influence uh, the markets uh, in the coming months? Well, I think that uh, on the first point, um, Greg has it right. I mean, the polls are so close, uh, it's hard to say, but uh, people who are betting with real money continue to suggest that Trump's going to win. And, and my only observation is uh, Trump needs a good economy to win. Uh, I think that's the critical thing. That's what he's campaigned on. Uh, that's what he promised. And uh, obviously, he's not winning a lot of votes on his charms uh, in his diplomacy. So I think that... <laughs> That's the bottom line. He needs a good economy. And um, I think that uh, he'll do everything he'll, uh, he can to make sure we have a good economy going into uh, the uh, election season. And I think it was no surprise that they got the trade thing done, the trade deals done uh, earlier in the year. They needed a clear runway on that without the noise that would distract CEOs and businesses from making investments. And uh, I do agree with Greg that we're um, not done, perhaps, uh, with some of the trade issues on the table, um, but I think they're deferred until after the election because he can't afford this noise uh, between now and the election. So there's nothing going to happen on it between now and the election. And um, whereas I think they didn't want to do fiscal spending, I think they're going to do fiscal spending if any signs of um, weakness appear in the U.S. economy because of uh, this uh, idea that he wants to get elected and uh, he needs a strong economy. So for now, I, I think that. That's the um, the key thing, and um, I, I don't think that they'll um, change course at all on that for now. And I, I would just add, Ken, I think that the deficit in this fiscal year with revenues probably coming down because of this crisis, we could be close to $1.5 trillion as a deficit in this fiscal year. And I think we'll be well above a trillion dollars a year for the next several years. And incredibly, there are very few people in Washington who care. Most, most people in Washington are happy to spend this kind of money. Right. Last year's deal, um, budget deal, was basically everybody get a little bit of everything they wanted, and and so no spending cuts. So, I, I, I think that's true, and um, I, I think that's why my dollar view has begun to shift. I mean, this was always in the background, uh, the fiscal problem. However, um, now that we have these collapsing rates relative to Europe um, and likely further rate cuts by the Fed uh, and, and little maneuverability, frankly, with the ECB on rates, uh, hopefully more fiscal stimulus, I, I think that's why um, I, the dollar is going to see a, a weaker path at coming in the coming years, in my view. It's an interesting comment. And also, I would say, uh back on something that uh, we have advocated relatively strongly at Amundi uh, in the last few years, which is basically we're progressively entering a new regime where in Western democracies, nobody seems to care anymore about the deficits or the debt, uh, and that we're back uh, into something that maybe uh, was uh, common uh, in the 70s, but uh, it's, uh, I think we will have opportunities uh, to prolong that conversation further afterward. Maybe because it has been uh, some kind of a historical day uh, this very Monday on the market, so I would be crucified uh, by the people that are listening to us if I was not asking you the question of basically your comments on what is still happening today and what do you expect in the, let's say, in the week to come at, um, to put, uh, I would say, a very short-term uh, moment of assessment. So, Greg, starting by you for an easy question. Well, I think that it, the, the statistics are going to get worse. 
on uh, infection, uh, on, on fatalities. I think it will get significantly worse over the next two or three weeks as we have more tests. Finally, we get the, the kits to test people, and by doing that, the numbers will uh, will go up. Uh, it, it's impossible to say how much of this is in the market, uh, but I, I do think it's likely in the next two or three days that there will be a response from Washington to try to take some action to avoid recession. I think Washington knows this is partly psychology, and I think we need to convince the American public that we're going to do something. So I think from that standpoint, we the news might get uh, a little bit better. But from a st- standpoint of the statistics on the virus, it'll get worse for a few more weeks. And can you comment on expectation for the days to come? Well, I think that uh, Greg has it exactly right. Um, we're not going to see stability in the markets until we start to see some uh, sense that the um, number of new cases in the U.S. have uh, plateaued and um, are increasing at a smaller rate, so-called second derivative, uh, and that we have our arms around it. And uh, at the moment, it's only expanding every day. And of course, the news uh, magnifies everything quite a bit compared to uh, prior decades. So I think until that settles down in that way, uh, the market's going to be uneasy. Unfortunately, another um, issue has been thrown into the cocktail, though, because of the uh, breakdown in uh, the OPEC negotiations and and the all-out um, supply war, so to speak, between um, the, the Saudis and, and now the Russians. And uh, this is also uh, causing quite a bit of uh, shock in the markets. So uh, it, it really is there's no sign of that resolving itself anytime too soon. Um, of course, uh, the Saudis have something like $10 a barrel or less in lifting costs, uh, so they still make money. But the problem is their budget uh, probably needs $70, $80 a barrel so, um, to balance. So I, I think they have some staying power here, but not, not forever. So uh, this is going to be with us for a few more months until this resolves itself. So I think we have a few things that are uh, really um, are going to cause continued volatility in the markets, the energy situation. Um, the virus and and then the election, uh, where I was more concerned a few weeks ago with with Bernie uh, in the lead. I think with a more moderate candidate like Biden, uh, the the election outcome is probably uh, a less of a um, a less of a concern, uh, a less material item than it was uh, when uh, Bernie Sanders was in the lead and looking like he could be the nominee. And could could I make an additional point on the election? Uh, if I might, uh, I think it's really important for investors to pay attention to the Senate. The Senate election is going to be crucial because right now the Republicans control the Senate. And I think after the election, they will continue to control the Senate. And what that means is that radical legislation coming from the House, which is very liberal, will die in the Senate. The Senate would be the the firewall, if you will. So all of this talk about let's break up the tech companies, let's go after the drug companies, the the banks, let's have the Green New Deal, Medicare for all, all of this talk you may hear uh, from the Democrats, to me, doesn't impress me because the Senate would kill any legislation that would be on the radical side. 
Okay, thank you very much, gentlemen. I think we're coming to the end of this conversation. So thanks again for participating. And uh, as you say in French, uh, il faut être calme et boire frais. So stay calm and drink cold, because in such a context, it's maybe the best advice we can give to the people that are listening to us. See you pretty soon, uh, Greg uh, and Ken. I'm pretty sure we're going to have other blue conversations regarding the US elections. Thank you very much, gentlemen, and see you pretty soon. This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors as defined in Directive 2004-39-EC, dated 21st of April 2004, on markets in financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Amundi.